Okay. We are doing now Tuesday's portion of Shlach, chapter 14, verse 8. We are actually in the middle of a dialogue of the two faithful from the 12 that Moshe sent, that Moses sent, Yoshua, Joshua, and Kalev, from those who were traversing the land. Often people use the term spies. That's what we all normally say, the Morago and the spies. But really, they weren't sent as spies. Meaning when the people turned to Moshe, Moses, and they wanted spies, what's the function of a spy? Spy is to give us the best military tips, how to conquer. Well, that's completely unnecessary here. I mean, the same way their water comes from a rock and their food comes from heaven, and the clouds wash and iron their clothing, and the clothing grows with them. I mean, the same way they're supposed to walk into the land, and they would just, like, fall into their hands. But Moshe wasn't sure what to do. And he said, well, if I say yes, they'll probably realize it's a silly request and drop it. And if I say no, they'll be like, well, why not? So he said yes. And then they didn't drop it. And then he turned to God. And he said, well, what should I do? God said, whatever you think is right. We need something from human initiative here. Moshe said, okay, let's do it. He understood the dangers in the situation. As clearly when he picked Joshua, Yoshua, his very loyal disciple, he, he blessed him and prayed that God should save you. From, from the dangers awaiting you. So he totally understood this was dangerous. At the same time, he picked the best he could find. I mean, we're talking about 3 million people, 600,000 men between the ages of 20 and 60, and he only needed 12. So you would think he could have picked better people, but he really picked very holy people, one per tribe, very good people. They were very holy when he picked them. But maybe almost their holiness messed them up because as Hasidus explains it, when they went to Israel, and they're like, what? We're going to come here and become peasants? We can be in, in the desert and learn Torah day and night and have no financial issues, no physical issues, just completely dedicate ourselves. The generation in the desert was the highest generation. They were a generation of knowledge of God, of sight of God. We're going to become, become farmers, become peasants? We don't want to do that. So we don't want to go to the desert. As, as it's explained Kabbalistically, they're from the wor- world of speech, dibor, like the word desert, midbar, dibor, speech. They don't want to go into the world of action and, 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 and lose their spirituality. And in a sense, of course, they were correct. The Jews went into Israel and lost their spirituality, that high, high level. But the point they missed is, but this is what God wants. <laughs> God wants us to live in a physical world as physical humans and serve God and bring the world to God. So they lost it. They were high. They were spiritual. They had great intentions, but wrong intentions. Really, their almost foundational problem was they viewed themselves as having the mission of deciding if this is the right thing or not. Meaning when they gave over their report, as, as we already learned their report, they said a lot of great things about Israel, a lot of true things about Israel. What was a problem? None of those things they said was a problem. The problem was when they came to a decision, and therefore, we can't do it. Wait, now you're stepping over your bounds. If you're a shliach, an emissary of Moses, of Moshe, you just have to do what he says. And he said, give me a report, not to spy. I don't need military strategy. I just want to know about the land. And why do I know I know about the land? To make everyone really excited for going, which actually, in a sense, worked because some 39 years later, when the Jews are entering the land, they're all very excited to go because they remembered 39 years before 
the grapes and, and the pomegranates and all the great stuff they heard about Israel. They fulfilled their mission well. But they went past their mission. A shliach, an emissary, does your job. And that's it. You don't make independent judgments because you're an emissary. You're not the sender, the principal. But they decided, besides observing, they were supposed to make a judgment based on their observation. And they made a judgment and they said, no. God, so to speak, can't do it. No, we can't. Yeah, against Paro, but against 31 kings. In other words, meaning we don't want you guys to go into Israel, so therefore we're saying, no, way too fearful. So here we have, and that's, that's what happened. So here we have the two that stayed loyal, Joshua, Yeshua, who was, of course, the primary disciple of Moshe, Moses, and Kalev. And those were the two that stayed loyal. They stayed loyal in different ways, meaning Yeshua, Joshua, had a special power because Moshe, Moses davened for him. He prayed for him that he should not succumb to the challenges. Moshe was very invested because he knew Yeshua has a special reason for wanting not to go into Israel because Yeshua knows already based on the incident at the end of the Torah portion that I'm not going in. He's actually become the next leader. Yeshua. And Yeshua's like, I don't want to come next leader. I want Moshe to be the leader. I don't want to be part of causing Moshe's death. So let's stay in the desert. And Moshe's like, wait, uh, he has personal interest to stay in the desert because of me. I don't want that to happen. So he gave extra prayers that Yeshua shouldn't fall prey. And he did not fall prey. Kalev, he didn't give extra prayers for. What saved Kalev? We're told that what saved him was his own prayers. That when they were all spying out the whole land, traversing the whole land very publicly, because again, this is all a supernatural thing. They were 12 of them walking, you know, no problem, the whole length and breadth of the land. He went off himself to pray to Daven, where the patriarchs and matriarchs are buried in Hebron. And that's what gave him the power. And we see very interesting that because he had this independent power, not only as Joshua, Yeshua. Yeshua also stayed loyal, but his power was not as much his own. It wasn't as much man-made. It was Moses-made. But Kalev was really from his own prayers, and that's why yesterday, yesterday's portion, Kalev had an ability, a spiritual power, that he could quiet the entire Jewish people. about three million people. They were all in a turmoil, and he quieted them down. He had a very strong power, because from his own prayers, he stayed strong and overcame this influence. So yesterday, he quieted them down. He's like, hello, is this the only thing Ben Amram did for us? Referring to Moses in sort of a derogatory way to get the people to quiet, like, oh, yeah, let's hear more dirt. They said, you know, he brought down the slob. He did this, he did that. Hello, you know, let's stick with him. And everyone was sort of like, hey, he's right. And then the other 10, you know, started again, saying all this stuff that again got everyone very, very, very scared. You know, this is a land that consumes its inhabitants. We saw lots of burials. Well, of course they saw lots of burials. God made sure there were lots of burials going on, lots of some pandemic <laughs> going on there. It takes them so busy burying their dead that even though they see these people very flagrantly, blatantly walking around, they didn't start up with them. They were too busy. But these 10 people interpreted it as like, oh, it's a land that kills its own inhabitants. So everybody got very scared. Yesterday, everyone's crying and turning to Moses and Aaron. We're taking us to this horrible, horrible place for. And Moses and Aaron are turning to God. And Yeshua and Kalev 
are tearing their clothes, and they're saying, this is, we're right in the middle of this. This was the last verse we had, was the first verse that they're talking yesterday. And they said, this is a very good land. So continuing in verse 8. If God desires us, he'll bring us to this land and give it to us a land that flows with milk and honey. But do not rebel against God. And you will not fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. God is with us. Do not fear them. Because the people were terrified. Because the other ten, again, as we're calling the self-appointed spies, so to speak, terrified them. Said things deliberately to push their buttons and make them truly, honestly scared. That night that the spies came back was the ninth of us. And it says the Jews cried all night. They were so scared. They were, they were like, what is going to happen to us? And God said, really? You're crying for nothing. I'm taking to a great land, and you're crying? This will be a night I'll give you something to cry about. And that was what designated the ninth of Av. Of course, everything is deliberate. That's why they came back that night. This is what designated the ninth of Av as, a, as the night of tears for the Jewish people from this time. This was the first time. So Yeshua and Kali said, don't rebel, and then you don't need to fear. In other words, the two go hand in hand. If you don't rebel, they have nothing to fear about. If you're rebelling against God, of course, we do have what to fear. When we listen to God, we're safe. When we rebel, we're not so safe. There are bread. What do you mean there are bread? We're, we're going to eat them like bread. So sort of interesting thing, but like it's so easy. The color of Yeshua thought they were going to reassure the people, like it's no big deal. You're terrified because of these 31 kings? Oh, yeah, okay. So God is strong enough to overcome Pharaoh, Pharaoh, but 31 kings? Yeah, God can take on 31 kings also. Fear not. He's God. And their protection, their, literally their shade departed from them. So Rashi explains it means their shield, the, the kosher one that was offending them died. Who was this kosher one? Eov. If you've heard of Job, Eov, there's three different interpretations who he was in the, in the Talmud. One is that he didn't exist at all. It's, it's uh, a story to bring out a moral lesson. Others say he was a very righteous non-Jew in the times of Abraham, and others say he was a very righteous non-Jew that lived shortly before, he passed away shortly before the Jews entered Israel. And what was the timing? Because as long as he was alive, the Jews could not have entered. They couldn't have taken away the land from the non-Jews because he was so righteous, his merits protected all of the people in the land. And he was like the tree. So that's why they're saying their shade has departed because the tree gives shade, which protects. So the tree, Eov, he's gone. The shade is gone. The protection is gone. We can conquer. Or another interpretation Rashi gives is the shade of God has departed from them. And that, again, is this idea of this protection versus the state of the tree, meaning Eov, Job. But the entire assembly said to pelt them with stones, to stone them to death. And the glory of God appeared in the tent of meaning to all the children of Israel. So the Jewish people who, a few minutes before, Kalev quieted like three million of them. Now they're such in a turmoil that, 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 that they, they literally are thinking to stone Yoshua and Kalev that are trying to turn them over again. So God descended. The glory of God descended to that point, meaning the clouds that are representing God. Like how, how in the world are the people seeing God? 
Well, they saw this cloud coming down, and they understood that represents the divine presence, the Shekhinah. So then God says to Moses, to what point will the people anger me, and how long will they not have faith in me? Despite all the signs I have performed in the midst, what's going on? I took them out of Egypt. Ten plagues. They saw me by the giving of the Torah. Before that, we had the splitting of the sea. I'm doing everything for them in the desert, and they're still like, oh, I don't think God really could handle this. They seem like, to what extent are they going to anger me? Because all of the miracles I did for them, they should have believed that I have the ability to fulfill my promise. I'm going to smite them with plague and annihilate them, and I'll make you a greater and more powerful nation than they. So according to the Uncleus, this word, Orishenu, means like driving them away. And then you're going to say, wait a minute, God, you, you promised the patriarchs that their descendants will be a great nation. No problem. As God has said before to Moses, he said the same thing by the sin of the golden calf. I'll, I'm fulfilling my word to the patriarch. From you will descend a great nation. Like, you're loyal. These people are clearly not. So Moses responded, Moses said to God, then Eve will hear, he from whose midst you brought up this nation with your power, so what do you think Egypt will hear? They're going to hear that you killed out the Jewish people. And what are they going to hear? So they're going to say, wait a minute. God managed to take the Jews out of Egypt. And then he killed them all in the desert. So the Egyptians aren't going to know the true scoop. They're not going to know the backstory. They're not going to know that the Jews sinned against you. They're just going to say, oh, against us, God, you know, he had a good display of power. But not against the, the 31 kings of the land of Canaan. So since he couldn't overcome the inhabitants of Canaan, he killed out the Jews in the desert because he couldn't take them into the land. So, in other words, it's going to be a massive desecration of God's name. They're not going to say, oh, well, did you sin? They're not going to know that. They're just going to think you weren't capable. And they're never going to think, oh, well, you know, they sinned against you to such a degree because they know how much you've expressed love for the Jews. So they'll just assume you couldn't do it. In other words, a, a tremendous, tremendous disgrace to God's name. And they'll say about the inhabitants of this land, having heard that you, God, are in the midst of this people, that you, God, appeared eye to eye, and your cloud stands over them, and then a pillar of cloud you go before them by day, and a pillar of fire at night. All of these things, in other words, Moses is saying to say, everyone knows how much you love them. So nobody would ever believe you decide to kill them out because they sinned. That doesn't make sense. So what would be plausible in their eyes? Oh, you couldn't do it. And if you were to put this people to death like a single man, which is what God's saying he's going to do, then the nations that heard of your fame would say. In other words, you're going to kill them suddenly. Because of this sin, then the nations are going to say God lacked the ability because, you know, the 31 kings of Canaan are much stronger than Pharaoh, and that's why God could handle Pharaoh, but not 31 kings. So what are they going to say? This is, so to speak, what the Egyptians are going to say when they hear that you killed you're three million children in the desert. Because God lacked the ability to bring the people to the land that he had sworn to give them, he slaughtered them in the wilderness. 
That's what they're going to say. And now, may now the strength of God be magnified. You know, it will be made great. This will be a tremendous desecration of God. The strength of God should be made great as you have spoken, saying, and now Moses will go into, of course, the words that he learned that you say, and we still say to this day, to arouse God's compassion. So what is, what is Moses talking about here? As you have spoken, saying, you know, what, what was he saying? So these words, the next verse, God, God, slow to anger, it says that when Moses went to heaven, when he received the Torah, he found God sitting and writing these words. And Moses said to God, oh, is this idea of God being so gracious and slow to anger, is this for the righteous? And God said, also for the wicked. And Moses said, the wicked, the wicked should perish. And God said, I'm swearing to you that you're going to need this. You're going to need to know that my trade of being slow to anger is also for the wicked. And when the Jews sinned by the golden calf, and also now here with this incident of these self-appointed spies, Moses prayed with these words that he heard in heaven. And God said, I thought you told me I should only be slow to anger for the righteous. And Moses said to God, I thought you told me that this also applies to the wicked. So God, may your strength be magnified by fulfilling that which you told me, that your trait of being slow to anger when people mess up is even for the wicked. So that's the next verse. In the Hebrew, if you look at it, Hashem Rechapayim, Rechesed, we say this in, in, in our prayers to this day. All of these words, God slow to anger, abundant in kindness, forgiver of sin and willful sin, and who absolves, but does not absolve, recalling the iniquity of parents upon children to the third and fourth generation. These are very powerful words that we are told remove God's anger. You absolve those who repent, and you don't absolve those who do not repent. So, even here, when we're being told how gracious God is, to truly gain his forgiveness and his removing the punishment, there does have to be repentance as well. So Moses asked, forgive now the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your kindness and as you have given this people from Egypt until now. Because of course, it's been many times. And God said these famous words that he said before by the final culmination of the sin of the golden calf, same words, which we say in our prayers, especially in Yom Kippur many times, those words were said on the original Yom Kippur, not now, this we say is the ninth of Av, almost a year before, after the Jews sinned with a golden calf, and then Moses went up for 40 more days and nights to pray, Then he went down, they went back up for another 40 more nights and days to pray, which concluded with Yom Kippur, that first Yom Kippur, I mean, when God said these words, I forgive them as per your word. So God said that then, Yom Kippur, and now this is almost a year later, this is the ninth of Av. So it's literally about two months before the next Yom Kippur. And again, God needed to extend this enormous forgiveness like your words. What words? You know, Moses' logic, so to speak. God, if you killed them, it's going to be such a disgrace to your name because they're all going to say you couldn't handle it and that's why you killed them. Would be, would be a disgrace. So he has to call it a salute Hashem. 